filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Bottoms up, gentlemen. This is disgusting. No. Oh, no. No, no, no. DC United, why did you make me do that? My shot was gin. Oh, no. That's bad, too. Mine was good vodka, but God, good vodka, even in a shot. Mine was bad vodka. Um... (laughs) Yeah, that so, wasn't pleasant. Yeah. Well, kind of like, yeah, kind of like the, the paper that away. whole hunt. So, um, uh, let's, let's turn our attentions before we get this show started to something happier, like what's going to happen before kickoff on June 3rd, which is a meetup uh, by and among Black and Red United filibuster contributors, listeners, readers commenters um you people us people uh we are having a tailgate in lot eight before dc united's next home game which is june 3rd against the la galaxy the fight and kurt on um we will have a tent out in the tailgate row uh that, that the team has graciously provided us with and we will have a potluck so bring some drinks alcoholic or otherwise bring some food alcoholic or otherwise to, uh, and plan on sharing it and hang out with some other, you know, I internet mean, nerds. Theoretically, you could show up with food just for yourself and just stand there eating your own food. You could. We're not going to ask you to leave or anything like no, that. No, we won't even call you a pariah. Right. At least not in the moment. I might not even notice that you're doing it. <laughs> I, I would like somebody to bring a giant bucket of fried chicken now and just stand in like against the fence to the stand. media lot and just kind of slowly eat it while staring at everyone. If That's somebody fine. did that, I'd be like, nice or staring, or okay. staring just at Adam, or yeah, <laughs> that might eventually freak me out. Or my daughter, I will have my kid there, um, and there will be so, some kid, some other kids there. But it's going to be a lot my of fun. Da- my daughter will be there. There you go. But it's not going to be like a kids party. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Jason's secret daughter weird. that he doesn't know about is going to be I, there. I like the implication that Adam just made, which is that uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, unlike children's parties. Children's parties are fun if you have a kid and are into that. If you are not a parent and uh, aren't into it, then there's no reason for you to have a lot of fun at it like a toddler party. Um, This will be fun for adults and kids alike. Um, Things have gotten weird in the past. We've had an anthropomorphic tennis ball steal a growler of beer and pose for photos. We've had Talon doing um, chin-ups on a chin-up bar. We've had uh, Luciano Emilio, Emilio yeah, just show up. Yeah, Luciano Emilio showed up uh, at one of these one time. Um, we've come a long way from the very first ever Black and Red United meetup, which was Martin and me providing Jason with bottles of booze because he won our prediction pool think, that year, and I those think, were our stakes. I think Martin also brought his wife, and so there were four people. 
Yeah. Rather than just three. I think we did have uh, one reader come by during that. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right, because I think it was one that we threw together at like the last possible moment. Yeah, this like, was, hey. I think, the season finale in 2011. Was it? it was yeah, a it while. must have been 2011. Yeah, yeah because it was, the, it was clear that the team was not going to the playoffs. Mathematically, they were eliminated. So Joseph and Gwen, yeah. The, um, well, even if he had scored a goal in that game against the Timbers, they would have had to win, uh, I think, two more in a row after that, so... Yeah. Anyway, but, uh, we're going to have a much bigger crowd than four of us. Yes. Um, maybe Joseph and Gwen will be there. Maybe. Weirder well, things have happened, literally, yeah. at, at this very tailgate. Uh, so come out. We have a Facebook announcement, a, a Facebook event. You can RSVP to and, and talk to some other people who are going. It's on the Black and Red United Facebook page, which we, you should give We've a like retweeted to. it from the Filibuster Twitter account. Yeah, there's a site... Uh, there's a post on blackandredunited.com calling calling out for this event as well with a link to the Facebook page. If you don't have season tickets and you want to sit with some other readers of like the me? site and, and, and Ben, uh, then my tickets today. there is a ticket link. Uh, we don't get a commission off of that or anything. It's just an organizing link. Um, so definitely do that if you want to sit with folks behind the supporters discounted. group. There you go. Discount tickets at the group rate for sitting with Black and Red United. Internet nerds in Meat World. It's going to be great. And now, on with the show. No, I disagree. No? no? Yeah. But they had we, a bye we, week this past week. Yeah, totally. It didn't happen. No, they DC did. United. Hey, we are going I, to hey, honor the suffering that took place this week. In, in the prediction thread, I wrote that I could not be forced to predict what would happen. And... In this show, I cannot be forced to talk about DC United's one nothing loss to the Chicago Fire to cap a completely fruitless uh, homestand that was bad in many different ways. I cannot be forced to talk about that. I cannot be forced to talk about DC United's upcoming road trip to the Pacific Northwest and Vancouver. I cannot be forced to tell you that that game is on Saturday at 7 p.m. on News Channel 8. And I won't be forced to ask you, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, well, first of all, my, my shot, my torture shot was, uh, just tank rage in room temperature, <laughs> nothing else, um, which is not, gin is not for shots, uh, at all. No. Um, it's a for gin in grad school. No matter what Martin, uh, our, our, our revered founder of black and red United, no matter what he says, gin is a wonderful drink. It's just it not good rage, for shots. You don't drink it for shots at all. No. Um, but my actual drink, because I was, the, we're recording this later than normal. I was the holdup because I was trying to watch the Vancouver game. Uh, so my drink was the simplest thing I could put together, which was Evan Williams single barrel in a glass. Excellent. Better than slurping it out of your hands. Right. Just like pouring the bottle on my head and, and whatever happens to drip into my mouth is what I get. There you go. I, my, my shot was a very nice vodka. Um, DC distilled civic vodka from Ivy city. Um, of course I, I wasted an ounce and a half of it in a shot um, that I did not particularly enjoy, which is why I say I wasted it. Cause it's good. It should be used in a way that is enjoyable. Like most alcohol should be used in a way that's enjoyable. If you're punishing yourself with alcohol, you're probably doing it wrong. We were doing it wrong tonight um, in honor of DC United doing it wrong on the field. My real drink is uh dogfish head 60 minute IPA. 
And there's a joke in there about how I would accept 60 minutes of solid play at this point, but I'm going to leave that unmade. Ben, what are you drinking? So my torture shot was a worse uh, alcohol than either of you guys took. Uh, Mine was good old room temperature, regular old Smirnoff. Good old Smirnoff. No, it's bad. It should only be used for Bloody Marys, which is about all I use it for. Was it pepper vodka? No, it's just regular okay. old vodka. Because there is I a Smirnoff sh- Pepar that's... No, it's, I think it's absolute Pepar. Absolute. Well, and okay. I know well. because I've had a shot of that in the okay. morning. <laughs> wow. That's... I was not told what I was being handed. Uh, it was a, a tailgate way back uh, for U- the U.S. law, speaking of things that went wrong. The U.S. lost to Honduras back in 2001 in World Cup qualifying at RFK, and the game kicked off at, like, noon. So the tailgate started at 8 a.m. Were you, like, 16? In 2000? Or 2000? Or yeah, in, in 2001? No, I was not 16. I was in college. Okay. I'm I'm much older. Significantly <laughs> older than you guys. Um, He's and slightly so somebody, older than us. Somebody He's, said, yeah. oh, you had to drive the car full of people. You deserve a shot and handed me a shot. But it turned out they were playing a trick on me and it was absolute papar. Also so, not to be taken as a shot. No, this this reminds me of two stories from Purdue. My my own college days. One, mm-hmm. uh, my good friend's 21st birthday party. We went to a place called Harry's Chocolate Shop. Famous bar at Purdue. And was there the chocolate? chocolate? Uh, they don't they don't actually sell, sell chocolate. Come it, on. It, it dates from a speaking. You have to, you have, to uh, have at least one chocolate dish. They were it trying from to break a law. It's fine. The name goes back to the twenties, as near as I can tell. Um, they are famous for birthday shots, which is just the meanest thing the bartender can come up with. And there's a pact on campus not to talk about Harry's birthday shots until someone has experienced them. And so my buddy shows up and is given a birthday shot of half hot sauce and half pepper vodka. He spent a good seven minutes dry heaving. Uh, The other story you reminded me of is Breakfast Club at Purdue, which is America's greatest tailgate tradition because Purdue has America's not greatest football tradition. The (laughs) morning of home football games and once a year in the spring, the bars around campus all open at 7 a.m. Full bars open at 7 a.m. with specials, um, many of them involving large plastic cups. Do they do this for the uh, Outback Bowl, too? Because I feel like Purdue is always in the Outback Bowl. Well, when Purdue is in a bowl game, uh, they were in the Outback Bowl a lot. You're right. Um, actually, they were in the bowl below the Outback Bowl, the Champ Sports Bowl, before. We lost to Maryland in that one time, actually, while I was in, in attendance. Yeah. I Breakfast Club, noticed. the bars open at 7 a.m., and Purdue students descend on the bars en masse in Halloween costumes and just get wasted before football games. And you got so nothing else to do in Indiana. There really isn't. Ben, what's your real drink tonight? Oh, right. Um, bourbon and Coke. Because okay. this team doesn't deserve anything better. You'd be drinking that anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah, because I had to go to a event tonight and my daughter vomited on me uh, as I picked her up from daycare, which is still... Uh, not as bad as what happened on Saturday, so. So let's get that out of the way. On Saturday, another week, another shutout loss at home. <laughs> DC United wrapped up their crucial and excruciating three-game homestand with a combined zero goals for, six goals against, zero of nine available points. It bad. 
y'all, it very bad. The latest loss was that one nothing loss to what turned out to be a pretty informed Chicago Fire. Um, with Luciano, Luciano Acosta suspended for this one, Ben Olsen changed formation, reverted to the four four two that he has turned to when things need to be solidified. It didn't really work in this one, Ben. No. And it didn't really work because, well, for many reasons, but I, the one I like to hearken back to every week is just the play of central midfield. Double uh, pivot of Marcelo and Jared Jeffrey in yep. this one. You guys who have been underperforming a lot. Yeah, and they continue to do so. Defensively and effort-wise, they weren't awful. They were okay, but they offered literally nothing going forward and they could not spark any attacks they could not connect any attacking passes it just they were giving us nothing and i i would hope that Buescher would have started instead of one of them uh, he definitely wasn't 90 minute fit or even 75 minute fit so i understand why ben olsen uh couldn't do that but hopefully in a similar situation, if there is a similar situation down the road, that he is able to turn to somebody else. But even at, at this point, now that he's back and he's been in training for a couple of weeks, free Chris Durkin. I mean, Durkin's well, going to we'll provide... Get, we'll talk more about that later. Okay, fine. We're going to throw I'm some venting my feelings. later, and a prominent one will be hashtag start Durkin. Spoiler alert. Sorry, can, guys. Can I add to, to when Ben said they they brought nothing that is borne out in the stats. Um, zero key passes between the two of them. Zero successful dribbles between the two of them. Uh, Marcelo won two fouls. Uh, but the, also got a yellow card. What, also what, got a yellow card in the first five minutes or something. Uh, yeah, it was early and it was for it wasn't even for his high foot. It was the descent that followed. Um, That's so, the second game in a row he's gotten a yellow card right. for Which is descent. a worthless was, foul. Well, the thing is, he was going to get away with, you know, he, yes, it was a high foot, but he was trying to win the ball, and Bastian Schweinsteiger was there, and he was going to get away with that foul on a bona fide superstar. And we know MLS history. We know that that kind of guy gets a different sort of treatment from everyone else. Um, it's just a fact of life. Yep. He was going to get away with it without the card until he threw his fist in anger and yelled something or other. Um, and MLS says they're cracking down on uh, visual descent and excessive descent. And that was both of them. So he walked himself right into a yellow that he could have avoided. Um, and also the com- the duo combined to commit seven fouls. So even the winning two fouls thing doesn't really bolster anything. A, a negative they, five foul differential. Uh, Marcelo completed 71% of his passes. Jeffrey had 74%. They both only had... Yeah. Marcelo had 28 attempted passes. Jeffrey had 27. So they weren't on the ball very much. That's awful. That's awful. Yeah, I mean, it was just... Well, I mean, it kind of bears out. You know, United had 42% of the possession. They only completed 67% of their passes across the board. They they lost the duels battle. They lost across the board. They lost this game. Um, One nothing flatters them, I think. As I said on Twitter near the end of the game, given... Given these performances, there is never a reason until signings are made that Ian Harks should sit. He's not been, he's not like bowled over the league, but he's yeah. better than Jeffrey and Marcelo. So he should be starting. Well, even over if he's that. not better, like they're not doing so well at this point that it matters so much. Like he's close enough to them that it's not that going his to. His growth curve will overtake and, him if he gets yeah. that. 
His last two performances haven't been very good, but I don't think you could say anything better than that for the other central midfielders he's competing with. Yeah, Jeffrey he wasn't directly responsible for goals. Which... Right. Jeffrey and Marcelo have not been good, and at the same time, it's, they, we've been talking about it for three weeks now, they haven't been good enough. Um, so if Harks also hasn't been good enough, at least you're investing in a player who may, who should easily surpass both of those guys, uh, in his career. So, you know, you're kind of... It's not by, like, August. I mean, you know, if, if Harks can get to where Marcelo was at the very best of his career in the next year and a half or two years, that would be awesome. Um, that's, that's still a pretty high ceiling. We shouldn't forget where Marcelo was, uh, at his peak, but, um, those days are gone and United, I understand the idea of wanting to defend through the middle first and foremost, because Chicago's midfield is so strong, but United really needed some, a little extra in central midfield that they just did not get this week. And they didn't get it out wide either. Lloyd Sam was active and engaged, um, in this one, he was probably United's least bad player. I won't say best because that's least an adjective that player. shouldn't, that kind of superlative should not be thrown around for DC United in this game or for this homestand for that matter. Um, Lamar Nagel, on the other hand. Who? I, I don't know. I thought Nagel was active. He just wasn't able to actually turn that into anything more than hard work. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, that's kind of what's been going on with the team. They're working hard. They're, yeah. they're ben Olsen said trying. as much in this game. He said um, the effort is there, the commitment is there, right. the quality's not. not. Executing, um, at I, I was about to say at a high level, but at a like medium level, they're not executing at even a medium level. Um, you know, Nagel, I guess it's kind of summed up. He he, I think he completed twelve of twenty-two passes. Oh, um, and sometimes I look I, these stat things. I mean, sometimes a winger is just going to take high-risk passes, and it's fine. Yeah. But that in this case, it does symbolize United trying hard and just not having the sharpness technically to get the job done. Because Nagel's not a bad passer. He's not going to turn in that number on a regular basis at all. But this is the kind of game that United had all over the field. Um, it, it really is kind of an across the board. Like The other games in this homestand, United had a period of time where they were playing well. Uh, the opening stages against Montreal, the opening stages against Philly, they were actually looking like they were supposed to, more or less. They were they were kind of knocking on, not knocking on the door necessarily, but at least pushing the play in the way they wanted to. And then something bad happened and they lost their way and it just sort of fell off from there. This game didn't even have that. This There was no like, well, this isn't a bad start from United. It was just like, oh, Chicago's got all of the ball. Oh, DC is going to have to defend a lot. It's not because they're choosing to defend a lot. It's because they're being forced to defend a lot. Um, and it, that just sort of carried on for 90 minutes. Yeah. And it, there's a lot of things that are pretty consistent throughout that um, inability to keep the ball, just bad passes at inopportune times. At least Marcelo didn't try to carry the ball out of his own box and turn it over for a goal in this game. The goal yeah. that, that Chicago did score came off a counterattack. Uh, David Akam ran the line absolutely perfectly. Um, according to replay, Steve Birnbaum kept him on side um, and he was played in behind one-on-one against uh, Bill Hamid. And even Bill Hamid on his best day is not going to win that battle all that often. Yeah. Akam with a perfect finish, uh, curling it to the far post around Hamid um, just had him on an Island and there's not a lot of keepers in the world who, if you tr- 
do that situation correctly are going to stop you. Right. Uh, especially he, when you're as good a finisher as David Akam can be. And he really the, handled that one pretty much as good as you can because he carried the ball. He waited till Hamid started to come out, but didn't wait so long that Hamid closed the angle. Um, yeah. And then he opened his hips where Hamid, you know, it, it gives him the option of both posts and Hamid has to pick one because there's there's actually no way to cover both. And, yeah, and Hamid picked correctly. And it yeah, was he just took the one that like if he's going to make a save, he took the one that there's a chance for him to make the save. Um, and Akam curled the ball around him, which is a, a, a sort of difficult finish. It's one that Akam can make, but it's also not the easiest goal in the world. Yeah. Um, Bill Hamid made it as hard as he could on him. And Hamid was really yeah. good in this game. This game yep. ends yeah. much worse for DC United yep. if Hamid isn't on his game. Oh, yeah. Manya Nicholas might have gotten a hat trick in this yeah. one. If that's, a, if that's a probably finds a way to score somehow, if, <laughs> even if though he wasn't a, rep- a real threat. If that's a replacement level goalkeeper, that's three or four to zero. Right. Or if Chicago just brings uh, their finishing shoes in this one, because you know yeah. it's a funny because after the game, Olsen pointed out something that that is true, but it's also not necessarily comforting. And it was that United did have a couple big chances to actually get out of this game with a draw. And it would have been horribly unjust, um, almost to the point of being laughable. Yeah. Um, but the fact is they did. Patty, Patty Mullins had what two, when he had decent he had chances one, that he, he had the one that on, on the long throw in on the hour mark, uh, got glanced down to him and it's, you know, yes, he was sliding in and swinging his leg at the same time because it was the only way he could make contact um, with the ball. But it was still a shot from dead center seven yards out with no one actually putting a body on him as he shot. Um, last year's Mullins buries that 100% of the time. Um, this year, it just hasn't worked for him. Um, the other one was uh, the really horrific pass from Joao Meira that gave Lloyd Sam the ball in a one-on-one with Brandon Vincent. And I'm convinced that Sam never fully took grasp of what had happened and was like, oh, the ball, oh my God, and shoot. Um, Because if he had the composure, he would have said like, oh, I've just got to beat this. I've just got to get this guy out of my shooting lane. I don't have to fake past him. I just have to fake him out enough that he moves out of the way um, so that I can place this ball wherever I want. And Sam has more than enough technical ability to do that, but I think he just never took that that single breath and said, oh, I just need to put a fake on this guy enough that he jumps and I'll just shoot around him. And so he shot directly into Brandon Vincent's legs and the chance went away. Yeah, um, Latou put been, one into orbit as well. One, which would have been absurd. Um, yeah, that would have been an undeserved result in this game. But United in the past has beat the expected goals models at both ends of the field. Right, they've shown and, a propensity for getting results in that kind of game. Yeah, um, and right now they aren't doing that. No. They're not they're certainly not beating expected goals at the offensive end and the defensive end they're playing at or you know maybe slightly better, slightly worse depending on the game, but basically playing at the expected goals projections for each game. And if you're not scoring, that's a big problem because United right now are giving up more chances and better chances than they are creating well, and that is not a recipe to right. to win games in a sustainable way if you don't have ridiculous finishing and um a a model breaking defense like united did in 2014 and and maybe maybe the biggest alarm bell of all really should be not even over the the lack of finishing but the fact that in this homestand united's defending got as a team got worse over time against montreal they gave up the goal which was a bad piece of defending but they didn't really give up anything else um 
And what they did give up was all long balls uh, after they had spread out to try and push the game. They were throwing numbers forward and Montreal would um, try and get in behind, which is the standard like, well, we're having to go for it. We have to concede that space and hope that we can make it work. Um, against Philly, they gave up a lot of stuff after the red card. Um, and that wasn't just spreading numbers. That was Philly getting to do what they wanted in that game. And against Chicago, it was even more of that because Chicago should have been tired. They, they didn't rotate anybody, uh, after playing midweek. Um, and it just didn't matter. United didn't do anything to make that come to the fore. They did not do anything to make those heavy legs, uh, tell at all. And so it almost looked like United was the team that was worn out and exhausted from a road trip and Chicago was coming in fresh and punishing them for it. Um, which is maybe, it's funny because this was a one nothing game that United might have actually snatched a result from, but it's also maybe the most alarming performance of the three. So, ungood on offense, ungood on defense. What can Ben Olsen and what can we take away from this, this homestand? This three games where they went 0-4 the homestand, not just in results, but in goals scored. Are we walking away with anything positive or anything we can build on or learn from? Because I'm I'm struggling. I mean, I mean, we didn't even talk about Bobby Boswell and Steve Burnbaum. No. I mean, no. I'll just I'll just, yeah. I'll just throw in I'll, I'll just throw in that Boswell was not directly at fault for the goal, or at least he wasn't as obviously near the ball and keeping uh, David Akam on side, but he had a worse game than Steve Birnbaum did. Yeah, it's funny, though, because this this might have been the closest thing to good center back play that United had in the three games, because if, it, if, they, right. hadn't, if they had played at the level they played against the Union or against Montreal, it might have been worse um, oh, yeah. in this one. Um, also, worth noting, the team leader in key passes on the night was Steve Birnbaum with two... <laughs> and it's not a tie. He's not tied with anybody. Um, the rest of the team, oh, no. the, the rest of the team only combined for three. So there you go. Uh, more. The only good thing I have to say is I'm glad Chris Corb is getting paid to play soccer again. Yeah, yeah. He I had don't... a huge block in this game. Yeah, he he had some good runs. He had on both ends of the ball, both sides of the ball. He had some good attacking runs on the right side. He had some good defensive recovery runs. Um. I, I don't know if his speed is at the, the level it was, which was elite before his injury. I don't know if it's quite there yet. I didn't see enough either way to be able to tell. But he's obviously got something left in that knee, and that's great to see because Corb's a good guy and a good player, yeah, I mean, and it's and, good to see and, him out there. I mean, Akam had a great game, and it wasn't Corb's fault. It wasn't that he was just taking advantage of a bad performance by anybody. Akam played really, really well and would have done so against any any right back in MLS this week. Um, he just, he was really on his game in this one. He's really timing his runs well. Um, and well, in his one run that scored the goal actually came from the Chicago's right side across the defense. They right. had switched and he came across the field back to, uh, right. Corb's side. So and another, Corb was pushed up. Right. And that's another thing that United kind of struggled with was the fact that Chicago, that front four is, is a flexible group. Um, there was actually a 10-minute span in the first half where Nikolic was playing as the left winger. Um, they dropped Nikolic into the midfield, moved Solonyak up, and moved Akam out to the right. Um, Solonyak spent most of the game actually playing in the 10-roll. Um, 
Uh, the like I think I want to say like fifty something minutes of the game is where that's where he was stationed. Even though he's, you know, basically a blue collar, hardworking attacking player who's just technical enough to make it work. He's not the guy you think of as a ten, but the way Chicago plays, they like to have that, you know, chance creators elsewhere. They like to keep it unpredictable. Um, and Akam popped up in all sorts of play, uh, all sorts of places, and slashed his runs across the middle a lot. Um, he just, he was really, it was impressive to watch. Um, he's a very good player. And I think maybe he's finally, um, now that there are some other good players there for him to enjoy playing soccer with, um, it might become something worrying for the rest of the Eastern conference because Chicago can't really defend still. Um, they've still got Joao Myra on the field. Um, they still may have Michael Harrington starting games. Um, but the front six is so good that it, it, you know, they're good enough to at least make that into something. They might not win MLS Cup, but they're probably going to get in the playoffs on the back of um, a front six where Nikolic can't stop scoring, except in this game, somehow, this was the game that he couldn't shoot in, which is bizarre. Um, because really, he was, his finishing was pretty bad in this game. Um, yeah. And, you know, with a calm creating chances, they don't even need to be, you know, they don't need someone better than Solonyak. Um we haven't even talked about Michael Delu, who I think is an excellent player who is really hard to track. Um, even though he didn't really have a major impact in this game, he did miss a really good chance that uh, uh, Schweinsteiger set up for him. Um, just that that mobility across the the whole group really confused United in this one, and switching to four four two should have made it easier for them to say like, all right, you guys are moving around a lot, but we have this this very extremely simple way of, of defending. So at least we can handle that part. But I think they were still getting pulled out of shape uh, more regularly than not. But you asked for things that were good. Um, and, uh, I, I mean, there aren't many. Um, it went that badly. Like, as bad as you think it went, it, it pretty much did that. Um, I no. was encouraged that when Chris Odoyachim came in that he seemed uh, capable um, he didn't give the ball away. He was working hard, even though the game was clearly lost. Um, he did the thing where he tried to run on the field early again, um, <laughs> which his it, two appearances he's done that. Yes. Now, now I will say, if a referee is in a bad mood, you can get uh, booked for that. Um, yeah. You come on before the referee has okayed it. Um, but in both cases, I think everyone involved understood that he was just over eager to get into the game. Um, but, um, you know, that's an encouraging thing, though it comes with the caveat of why wasn't he able to play any of these games? Because United found themselves in need of a right back uh, against Philadelphia. Um, so that, you know, even even the good news comes with bad news, basically. Um, we saw Sebastian Latou maybe given too much time on the field in this one. Yeah, he um, was he was bad in this one, and especially late. got to stay in the game for the full 90 up front. Um even even when Birnbaum shifted up front as a target, Ortiz ended up stuck out on the wing, which was bizarre to me. But um, maybe it was just a like that we've got to shake something up, and this is a, a look that Chicago will never have expected to see, which is true. Uh, but it didn't create anything. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have positives uh, other than maybe you know Olson said that some guys are coming back from injury. Um, yeah, soon. So that's something. Yeah, he said. Big changes, big big acquisitions yeah. coming this summer. Those aren't on which... the field positives, though. We have no. very very few, if if zero, on the field positives. Um, so, so let's quickly to end this segment. Let's give 
honestly what is going to amount to kind of short shrift uh, con- attention to some ideas that we can just throw at the wall to see if they stick. The first one Ben mentioned earlier, hashtag start Durkin. At this point, start Durkin, start Harks, and start Lucho. Durkin Harks is going to be, I I think at this at this point, even now, just as good as Marcelo Jeffrey. I don't have any reason to disagree with that. I would like to see it happen. I've been saying start Durkin for uh, over a month now, and I would like to see it happen. And uh, I, I looked at the numbers. We still have, or we DC United still has eight games before any potential uh, mid-season transfer window signings can come in. They could sign someone now, but that player is not allowed to play. Right. Unless they were a free agent before the window closed. Right, but we're not, there's no... Which, we, pro- yeah. we probably don't want any yeah. of those people. Right. Yeah, there's a reason those people category. are... We're, we're not with the team. Right. Um, so, even if Dirk... I mean, Durkin's going to the U-17 uh, World Cup in October, but we need stuff now. So, he can be the bridge to his own bridge uh, when they sign a, a six over the summer to hopefully play for a year and a half and then Durkin can take it full time or maybe not even a year and a half, but whatever. I mean, then Durkin if, can I take mean, it full time, but they need some, they need to start winning games now. And the only six on the team is Durkin. Yeah. Even if they don't win games right now, which they do need to do, they need to make some kind of progress. And Durkin is a, had among the best tournaments in CONCACAF during the qualifying for the, the under 17 world cup. He was named to the, the all tournament team. Um, he was the best defensive midfielder in that tournament, uh, by, by some sources. So, uh, or by some accounts. So I think it, there, there's a very good argument to, to get him started, especially as Ben said, with the long wait before the summer transfer window actually opens. Uh, two other things Wait, I want to see. I, oh, go ahead. Uh, I will say that, I mean, there's an argument against playing Durkin basically in this losing streak. And it's, you know, if you're sending him out there and he puts the pressure on himself uh, or if, if the outside world puts the pressure on him to be, you know, part of a big part of what turns this team around um, and they're losing the way they are and they're playing the way they are, you might have a, a detrimental effect that takes some while to work itself out as far as his confidence goes. Um, yeah, that would be an argument true. about now. I don't know his, you know, for all I know, he's one of those players that's super mentally resilient and understands the whole thing and doesn't beat himself up when the team is losing. Um, I don't know, but there, there is the possible argument that you could present for that. However, on the other side, you end up in this sort of defeating vicious circle where players that aren't playing well enough keep getting to start because you're trying to dodge starting somebody else. And eventually you just need to admit like, these guys have been bad enough that even if even if I think that they are on paper the better player right now, I need to shake something up. Um, I need someone to change someone someone that isn't getting a chance needs to get a chance just because the guys that have been on the field haven't gotten it done. Um, and talk about uh, mentality. What if Durkin just he could also just get annoyed slash pissed that. He's not getting the start over these people who have been obviously bad. Yeah, maybe. I mean, even if yeah. you're trying to protect him, that's, right. that's another risk. Um, and and yeah, this this could extend out to guys like Odoyachim and Jalen Robinson who haven't gotten their chance either. Um, yep, it's got to be pretty difficult to take. Um, 
if you're either of those players and you see the lineup that was put on the field against Philly, um, where it's I it's no matter how it was intended, it's an obvious statement that that Olsen did not see those two as ready to put on the field. Um, because Boswell and Opare have not played well enough to justify continued starts, um, unless there's a lack of other options. And so that, what does that tell Opare or, um, Robinson? It tells him that you're not really even on the table as an option. Um, and last year I Which thought- Which is baffling after, yeah. Yeah, last, last year. year I thought we, we had bridged that gap by establishing that, and against physical players, I mean, his, the game that Olsen turned to him for the first time and, and gave him a start in a league match was against Kai Kamara. Um, who is the, like, rich man's version of C.J. Sapong, and he managed to deal right. with that game extremely well. Um, so the physicality side of it, while it's tempting to say, like, oh, the Union, and I, I even said this, the Union have a ton of big physical players, but, uh, you know, at a certain point, you've got to make a change just because guys aren't getting the job done. You've got to be able to show to the rest of the locker room that when people aren't playing well enough, there is, like, you can't have competition for spots and then not follow through on it, basically. Right. Now, Right. All that, and that's what Ben Olsen has been able to do in the past, right. but he hasn't shown that in like now, the last... Look, and to, in fairness to the coaching staff, it may be that Odoyachim and Robinson are playing badly at training and are not winning the spot. It could be that they're saying, this is your window to take a spot, and they just aren't doing it. We don't. We have no way to know that. Um, and if that's the case, that's sure. a different problem. That's, that's a problem. That's a big problem, too, but we don't know that that is a problem. It just could be. Um, but... Something's got to give, you know, those are good young players. The veterans that are playing right now aren't earning their spots. So, you know, you would hope that good young players would then step up and seize the seize the role and that the, play, the people then in charge of making those choices would give them their shot. Um, but it's all theoretical. You know, I, it could be that training is going that badly that that you have to go with a burn bomb at right back, Boswell and Opari center back pairing. Um, it could be that things are so dire that a guy that has, I mean, not that, you know, Corb did a decent enough job given the circumstances, but also he hasn't played a professional start in MLS in almost two years. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think a, what, a half for Richmond before he, he started he played playing 71, for one 71 minute appearance for Richmond. And then he subbed in for United and then he got, right. um, but, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't, Either either Odoy Achim is behind where he should be, or United is inexplicably gun-shy about him, um, because those are minutes that he could have played. And the same kind of goes for Robinson, who we haven't even seen play center back this year at all, because he didn't get to yeah. he, he got to play there in, like, one preseason game, I think. Um, Otherwise got shunted out He was stuck out right on the back. right because of the Sean Franklin experiment, which also, I mean, that might as well be back on the table, because it's not like anyone else is proving to be that much better. Yeah, we um, Boswell came back in to, you know, kind of stem the bleeding. Right. And he stem had the bleeding and, and he worked. did at first um, and and well, now it's not drained back. Um and the other thing is because of the there's always been somebody missing uh in the defense, Robinson hasn't even they haven't even been able to send him on loan to the kickers where we can at least see him play games. Um yeah. he's been stuck on the bench. Um it's sort of the the Rock and the hard the worst place. Case. Um, yeah. So I don't know. There's there's a lot of guys on the roster that are probably not too pleased to see themselves not getting the call at some point. Um, but also, it could be that they're not, you know, they're not forcing Olson's hand because he's been. I know there's the the old like oh Olson only likes veterans thing, which we've disproven on the site like every single year for five years running. I don't know how many times we have to do it. 
Um, dislikes but, young players. Right, right. He he prefers veterans. He dislikes young players. He only play veterans. Um, but right now that might be the case. Um, and it may be that the young players aren't doing it, or it may be doubts about them that aren't necessarily justified. I, I don't know, but we're left with a lot of questions rather than answers right now, because it's not, it, I mean, the defense is playing well, the midfield isn't playing well, the forwards aren't playing well. Yeah. We talked about giving this segment or this part of the segment short shrift that obviously didn't no, happen. We have a lot of things. To when have we through. ever given anything short shrift? Yeah. We we're working through a lot. Um, the other thing I want to throw against the wall to see if it sticks. Unless we have a lightning round. Uh, this is the last thing on the list, so we won't even do this as a lightning round. Wacky formation shifts. Huh? Three-man back line, five-man back line, no. two, three, five. No. It's not <laughs> the formation two, three, five. at all. Um, no, it's not. No, it's not. The, the, it's the players not performing. Right. I mean, and the other three, thing four, is, three. The other thing is a crazy formation switch is only going to make that worse because it's not a formation problem. It's just a soccer problem. So if you put the guys, I mean, right. we saw a formation change this week and it didn't work because the soccer playing was bad. Yeah, but, but a four four two is not a wacky formation. No, but what about, I'm talking what about like Jurgen Klinsmann out of nowhere. So you're uh, saying inverted that, wing backs. You're saying that Olsen should spend <laughs> this week at training working on a three six one. And then play it for only no. 45 minutes and then throw it out entirely at halftime after telling everybody that he was all in on it. That would be super I I, wacky. Yes, I, that I is what I'm he, saying. I think it should do the extra Jurgen and just not practice it at all and then just throw players out there in it. Yeah, that, that, was, the, that was the Jurgen move I was referring to. The return to the 3-6-1 the <laughs> against Mexico, okay. which is a game I, I would like to forget but cannot. It is seared into my memory and um that's an extra depressing thought on top of yeah you know, the, the depressing gone. thoughts that has been this they should game. persist with and, the formation they just need to be better at soccer not a yes the, the player the roster is built no. to play that formation but there's a reason they called it a wacky formation shift right and especially with lucho coming back you can't switch formations that much because right. you need to have two other central midfielders with lucho to make it work yeah, you have to have three center backs you trust starting to change to a three back uh, formation right. or even a five back I will, formation. I will say that. I, to, like, I, I, there's I a only lot have of two center backs. Need. I only have two center backs that I trust starting, and Ben Olsen doesn't start one of them. So, wait, who's the other one you trust? Robinson and Birnbaum. I mean, I don't trust him, but I'd like to see it. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean. The, the other problem with, e even with any of, even if one of those formations could work for incorporating Lucho, you end up running into other problems. You, you can't play 3-5-2 yeah. with this roster. You don't have the wingbacks. Um, mm -hmm. You can't play a 5-3-2 because you'll have the same problem over again. Um, or And on top of that, you probably won't create anything. Um, there's also not a single forward who's justifying a starting role right now. So having two of them isn't good. It just means more of the same. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. And maybe the weird thing is that going on the road is a respite because if there's one thing this team has done well in the last like six weeks, it's play counterattacking soccer on the road where there's no there's not even an illusion of trying to be the team that dictates play. It's just let's we're going to sit deep and absorb pressure and hit on the counter. They did it in New England. They did it in Atlanta and they managed to actually score five goals and get four points. Um it's a real problem when they play at home. 
because you can't play at home that way and hope to win very often, but you can win on the road like that. Um, so maybe going on the road and getting back to the one thing that they've been able to do well this season is a blessing in disguise, though it comes with two games in three days that are as far apart as they possibly can be. Thanks, and Alice. we almost ended it on a good note no. and it's not no good. Notes. We, we couldn't do it. We could not even do it. Every note is off key. Every, everything is wrong. And I'll leave you with that. Stick around, please. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. For the last several weeks, um, and we're going to get to previewing the Vancouver game here in a minute. For the last several weeks, um, regular listeners have noticed a button at the end of our show teasing something big. And uh, we've gotten some questions, and that big thing is not the meetup on June 3rd, which you should definitely come to if you're listening to this and you find yourself in the D.C. area because that's going to be a lot of fun. And like we said earlier, weird things will happen and it will be wonderful. Very weird things. That was not our big announcement. Is the big announcement that we're signing a designated player to join the podcast? Uh, His name is Rafael. He's a 19 year old from Brazil. I actually would be completely okay with that. If we had a non-English speaking former (laughs) DC United player who didn't do well, just joining the podcast and and with no context or attempt for us to bridge that the obvious problems that would come with that. So you're he's saying, just like uh, angrily shouting in Portuguese about what he's doing here, right? Like, why am I on this show? What 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 is happening? Why are we doing? What, what is what is the purpose of this? And we why did my agent agree to this? Our show would carry on with that happening, and maybe we address it, and maybe we don't. No, our our big exciting news. Our big exciting news is that we are expanding the show. We are going to be adding new content um, as part of a push into Patreon that we're making. We've had listeners in the past um, tell us that they'd like to chip in for beer money or uh, vodka money, as the case may be um, right now. We we won't make you pay for our vodka. That's on us. (laughs) That That is the burden we bear. 
But we we are launching a Patreon page. Uh, it might not be live yet when you hear this, but it will be live very, very soon. And we're going to be recording some bonus interviews and putting some other content um, up on the Patreon page. And, and this podcast will continue on unchanged. But uh, if you are so inclined to support this podcast financially, then you will have that opportunity. And we will try to make it worth your while to to keep this podcast going and to expand it and make it even better. So We've been doing this for five years. We want to do it for 500 more. Yes. Uh, your donation, I cannot say for sure that your donation will provide us life extending technology to allow us to go for 500 years more. Uh, but we will, I can't say conclusively that it won't go there. I I can, it will not go to that. Okay. It will probably go to life shortening technology known as alcohol. Yeah. I will use (laughs) every cent that I get my hands on to build some sort of cryogenic chamber that allows me to live on to the future to keep podcasting. How will you podcast from a cryogenic chamber? Well, you don't want one that keeps you through. It's only, you know, oh, you've got to be frozen and that's it until we thaw you out. And it's it's like a one-shot deal. You want something that's reusable. I think um, that's so kind of what a cryogenic chamber is, yeah. is it's a one-shot yeah. deal. You're frozen. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, but they don't work. So uh, what I'm saying is I would be trying to build one that works the way I want it to, where I could be thawed out and brought out to podcast and then, you know, left alone for another six days. Are you saying Ted Williams isn't coming back? No, what, yeah, what he's, he's saying probably, is... What he's saying is Ted Williams and no Ted Williams and Jason are going to be podcasting about DC United two hundred years from now. Yeah, I would love to have a podcast where the angry uh, old Ted Williams screams at me because he doesn't want to talk about soccer, uh, and I insist that we do, and that's the entire show is just an argument about whether or not we're talking about soccer. We'll also get Raphael in there to to yell in Portuguese, just as kind of a third party. If we can make these things happen, they will be part of the bonus content. Uh, that is a guarantee. <laughs> that I will agree on. So uh, please keep an eye out. We'll we'll put we'll we'll put an announcement up um, in show notes when it is ready. But it should be ready very very soon. And we hope you will continue listening to this show and will support us and listen to the extra content that we produce. And we're pretty excited about it. And we hope you will be too. Now back to the soccer, the black and red take their longest away trip of the year this weekend, traveling to British Columbia, Canada to take on a Vancouver Whitecaps side. That's coming off a two nothing win over the best team in the Western conference sporting Kansas city. So yay. Another team United is playing um, probably not at the best moment. The good news is that Vancouver have been up and down over the last several weeks. They've been alternating wins and losses like clockwork. It's, a little bit weird, honestly. Um, the bad news is that if their pattern extends beyond league play, they have a midweek game against Montreal, and that means that they'll lose that one and beat DC United. But if their pattern is confined to league play, and this is how far I'm grasping for straws, that game midweek against Montreal is part of the Voyagers Cup, not mm-hmm. part of the league. So that means they're due for a loss on the weekend. DC United going to win. Guaranteed. It's math. Anyway, Jason. Is that what you said? I said math. Singular. I'm not. I heard No, I heard meth. It's probably also meth. Okay. 
Jason, tell us about Vancouver. What's working for them? What's not? Why are they tick-tocking between wins and losses? Uh, I mean, part of it is just they're pretty much a run-of-the-mill MLS team, so they're going to have run-of-the-mill results. So some weeks they'll play well and they'll beat a team that's that's pretty strong, though. This was the, the, the Kansas City lineup included uh, no Ike Opara, no Dom Dwyer, uh, no Jimmy Madronda from the start, no Benny Failhaber. Um, so they beat the weekend version of Kansas City on the road or at home. Um, you know, they're not bad, but they're not that strong. This isn't some overwhelming opponent that um, is a cause for fear for even good teams. Um, it's just they are an average team getting average results uh, in MLS, which means they kind of seesaw a little bit. They did switch. Um, earlier this year, they were playing 4-2-3-1. It wasn't really working. Um, so what they did, and they've won four of six uh, since they made the move, if I'm not mistaken, um, was switch to a 4-1-4-1, which doesn't have a number 10. Um, it has uh, Matias Laba as the holding midfielder, and then Andrew Jacobson and Tony Chani, who are both pretty defensive players uh, playing ahead of him. Um, but the idea is to stay solid in the middle, not give the ball away, and then break out and use the their front three to do the damage. Matias Laba won't be able to play this game uh, because he picked up an extremely foolish and needless yellow card in the 89th minute uh, against Kansas City. A foul, a foul at midfield in a game that was 2-0 um, Vancouver with only a few minutes to go, and it wasn't to stop a breakaway. It was just in possession. Um, pretty much the definition of the foul you don't commit when you're on a yellow card suspension. He did it, so he won't be able to play against United, um, which means probably... It's actually kind of weird because there are a bunch of different things they might do to fix that, but um, overall, the, the idea is going to be the same. Staying solid in the middle and hitting teams on the wings, which... If that sounds a little bit like the Montreal impact uh, in the playoffs last year and at RFK a couple weeks ago, you're right. Uh, it is a thing that teams have been doing to DC United and succeeding with. However, since the shoe's on the other foot, being on the road, maybe it actually plays to United a little bit because they'll just sit deep. They won't try and go press Vancouver. But still, you know, right now, United, it's kind of an achievement for them to beat anyone. Yeah. Who's going to start for Laba in this one at the six? Um, we'll, we'll have a better, by the time people are listening to this, which will be, it'll be out on Tuesday, the game that Adam mentioned earlier, that, that midweek game is Tuesday night. Um, we'll know more then, but it could be a lot of different players. It could be, um, Christian Bolaños, who's been playing on the left wing. He could move inside, um, and play as a number 10. Um, and then they would bring in Alfonso Davies or Breck Shea. Um, it could also be... It could also be Nicholas Mesquita um, playing as a direct, um, well, not as a direct swap because he would come in as the 10 and then you have probably Andrew Jacobson dropping into Lava's spot. But that's a position that Jacobson hasn't quite been mobile enough to do in the past. There's a reason teams don't want to play him by himself there. And it's mostly he's just not going to cover very much ground. Um, and Lava, Lava does that. He's not, he hasn't turned out to be the player that maybe we expected him to, but Jacobson slotting into that spot is not ideal for Vancouver. It might be a weakness that United can exploit. Um, it occurs to me as I'm saying this that the move might be Bolaños into the middle, Jacobson back, and and um, Breck Shea on the wing because part of the one of the rules of the Canadian Championship is that you have to have three Canadian players in your starting lineup. Um, 
and Alfonso Davies count. He's Liberian born, but he's working towards he he counts as far as the Canadian Championships regulations go. Um, I believe he's got like Canadian residency and is working towards citizenship. It's that kind of deal. Um, so they'll probably want to start him. Um, and someone like Russell Tybert would also be in line to start against Montreal, which means most likely not being available to start, at least to start against United. So that's maybe where I'm leaning. So it could be Mesquita. It could be, um, Davies or Shea coming in, but it'll probably be Jacobson. The one is the one that has to drop back because there's not really, they could start, they've got a young Canadian named Ben McKendry, but again, they need someone to start that midweek game. That's probably going to fall to him. So Jacobson is the guy filling in for Laba, but who fills Jacobson's shoes at that point? It's a lot of different choices. So you mentioned their their midfield doesn't really have a lot of attacking punch. I think that's that's one difference potentially between their Montreal, central their central midfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Montreal in the playoffs they had Patrice Bernier who's able mm-hmm. to pick out a good pass in in the attacking third. I I don't trust Chani or Jacobson to to do that on the regular, but they've been managing to get results without that. What mm-hmm. what is it they're doing? Are they sending in crosses? Are they looking to get guys in behind? How exactly are they going to try to attack United? With with Jacobson at least they're going to look for him to switch the point of attack because he he's not the best guy as far as um defense splitting passes, but he does have a good long range pass to open play up. Um with Chani, it's more of a he doesn't turn the ball over too much and he's very mobile and very physical. So he'll get into the attack as a supporting player. Um, But their main mode of attack right now is to swing the ball out to the wings and let those guys do most of the creative work. Um, Kristen Chichera, who didn't really play much last season and to the start of this year, wasn't really playing very much, but has really fought his way back in and has been really effective lately. Um, He can be a threat, both sticking wide or slashing in, um, he actually scored the opening goal against Kansas City, and it was him slashing all the way from the right out to the uh, the opposite post where Christian Bolaños ended up setting him up um, with a, um, if I'm not mistaken, it was a chest trap assist. Um, so even though those two were starting on the opposite wings, they managed to get that close together. Um, so it's it's really down to those wingers, um, Tachera's movement, his speed, his willingness to come across the middle or stay wide. Um, Bolaños is a really crafty player. If he ends up in the middle, um, it maybe reduces, or it's, I shouldn't say reduces, but simplifies things because, you know, Alfonso Davies, as, lo- as good as he is, is still, uh, I don't think he's turned 17 yet. Um, so there's a certain simplicity in how he plays the game because he doesn't have the experience. Uh, Breck Shea, on the other hand, has always played a very simple game because that is Breck Shea. He's sort of a, a straight oh, line. Right, he's a straight line player. He's big. He's physical. He's fast, and that is a problem. Um, it is difficult to deal with, but it's not a complicated problem. It's just can you deal with this simple problem or not? Um, Freddie Montero uh, has actually been kind of struggling with his finishing touch um, recently. He has his fair share of goals. I think he's got six, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but in the last game, he missed a sitter, and then within a few minutes, won a penalty, and then missed that penalty. Um, and then later was trying to force shots to tr- sort of make up for it. So he might be in his his own head a little bit, but he's still contributing as far as his movement off the ball helps those wingers. Um, he's still got a great first touch, and he's still a good passer of the ball. So he's still able to help Vancouver be a good attack, even though he himself isn't finding goals right now. 
Um, but he does get isolated sometimes because, I mean, he, we, we know, we remember Freddie Montero. He's not very big. Um, he's not particularly physical. He doesn't really want to play a physical game. And he's up there in a 4-1, 4-1. And sometimes he's, you know, 35, 40 yards from his uh, teammates. So um, that's really the moment to shut them down. If they're playing the Montero and they aren't, their runners aren't there yet to help support him, that's really the moment to uh, shut Vancouver down. Because if you start to take that out of it, I think they sort of, there's not really much else there other than pushing their fullbacks up and pumping crosses into a team that doesn't really have a lot of aerial. T- I mean, if Breck Shea is your one aerial target in the attack, um, Montero's 5'10", and like we said, doesn't want to play in the air. Uh, Teixeira is maybe smaller than Luciano Acosta. Um, so it's not a, a physically imposing team in the box. So if you can force them to be the, a team that just pumps crosses in, you're probably going to deal with them pretty well. You got to hope Montero doesn't get on the end of a low cross, though. Yeah, if they're um, if they're crossing it at pace with right. the defense running at our own goal, that's that's a problem. That's always yeah, a problem, no, no matter who that's, you're that's, facing. Yeah, but that's it, what they want to do. Yeah, if they're putting low crosses in behind the defense and everyone's having to turn and scramble, then that's that means the game's going their way. But if they're having to uh, have their fullbacks run up the wing and just put a ball into the box, the old the old school kind of uh, aerial cross. Um, United should be able to sort that out. Now, I, I will say that that first goal I mentioned, that chest trap assist came on a Shannon Williams cross from the right wing that was an aerial cross. It's just no one from Kansas City attacked the ball properly, and Bolaños managed to just get there without ever being touched by anybody. Um, that's the kind of defending that will that anyone in MLS can score on. Um, so you can't do that. <laughs> you, you can't just not defend. Um, but, uh, no, it's been a little bit interesting to watch them sort through it. Um, the other thing really to worry about with Vancouver attack wise is, um, they've been pretty good on set pieces. Um, and it's not just Kendall Waston, um, who is a, you know, one of the best aerial players in the league, but Tim Parker, um, I think I was looking at who, who scored.com earlier. And they said that Tim Parker has the most shots resulting from set pieces in MLS this season. Um, so he's clearly winning battles and getting those looks and getting chances to score. He scored the second goal against Kansas City, um, but that, that was his first goal, but the opportunities have been there for him. So um, That's really bad news for United in particular, who have it's been, it's been, been a weakness. Really vulnerable. Um, so, yeah, the set-piece defense has to be A-plus against Vancouver because, I mean, even if you deal with those two, you've got Jacobson's a pretty big guy. Um and they have a lot of players who are really good at winning fouls. Montero tends to win a lot of fouls. Teixeira is fast and tiny, so you know, you you can just imagine uh, what that plays out as. He tends to win a ton of fouls. Uh, Bolaños is an aging player, but he's really crafty. He knows how to position himself. And he, he tends to get defenders to commit the foul because he's just shifted his weight just enough that they can't get to the ball. Um, even with you know, Williams and Jordan Harvey, um, it's weird that they have two, or I'm sorry, three former Philadelphia Union players all starting for them. Um, but those two push up the wings very enthusiastically and they like to get physical. And sometimes those fullbacks tend to just win a bunch of fouls just through sheer exuberance. They just sort of throw themselves at it and get fouled and it works. Um, it's not the prettiest soccer. Um, it's definitely, they would like to play high tempo soccer, but it's still an inelegant vision of the game that Carl Robinson has had for a while. Um, but they're starting to find a way to make it work though. You know, with Matias Laba out and with the midweek game, it does. I think it does complicate things for them a little bit. So it, it might be a good time to be showing up in Vancouver. Uh, United could definitely use a break, 
Um, maybe they stumble into a, a opponent that just isn't ready. I don't know. So a couple years ago, Vancouver was the site of what's become kind of a mythical performance in DC United circles where at least for us. Yeah. At least, at least at black and red United and on this show, uh, United was very much a four, four, two team. And Ben Olsen ran out kind of a hybrid four, four, two, four, one, four, one. And it worked really, really well. Michael Farfan had his best game Who? in the black and red. Uh, Chris Rolfe was fantastic in that one. Obviously oh. neither of those guys will feature in this game, but I wonder whether there's some kind of, I, I, we talked about wacky formation shifts earlier. I wonder if there's something less wacky Ben Olsen can do some kind of wrinkle. Julian Boucher. <laughs> that I mean, could get a, if, a similar phenomenon here. Cause Vancouver's a weird place to play. It's, it's yeah, so far it's away. Turf. It's, it's, it's turf. A long trip. It's, it's also, um, and they noticed this or they noted this on the TSN broadcast, which, which otherwise was not a very good broadcast, but they noted early that, um, the roof was left open at BC Place, and the sun, because it was a daytime game, and DC will be playing at 4 o'clock local time, um, so it will be, the sun will still be out, sun will still be a factor. Um, the goal uh, that'll be to the left of your TV screen, um, or your, your computer screen, or whatever you're watching games on, um, that goal will be facing the sun, and the sun will be setting kind of low over the edge of the roof, which means... The goalkeeper at that end is basically staring into the sun, and they, they pointed out that um, Kansas City was getting it pretty bad in the first half, but that the sun wasn't going to be gone after halftime. It would just be at an even more acute angle, and thus possibly even worse for Vancouver after halftime. Um, so it, it's a it's a venue that that, that doesn't happen. This isn't a we don't talk about other venues having a sunset problem. Um, but at Not BC Place, Community it, America it, Park closed. Right, but at, at at BC Place, it is a legitimate thing. The sun will be in Bill Hamid. For 45 minutes of this game, Bill Hamid will be staring into the sun, unless it's very cloudy. I mean, it is Rain City, um, so perhaps um, the weather gods will bail us out a little bit, but yeah. Um, it's a strange venue that has had some pretty strange games. The turf plays extremely fast, even for turf. Um, it tends to contribute to a sort of choppy... Uh, up and down game rather than a game where you see a lot of sustained possession play. It's a lot of turnovers. It's a lot of individual battles, it's a lot of speed um, and sprinting and that sort of thing. Um, so it does sort of play towards uh, kind of the style that United was playing at, at the end of 2016, where the games were very vertical um, and both teams were having to be wide open. Um, but that's not what DC United looks like in 2017. So unless they can find uh, a way to turn back the time, you know, turn back time a little bit, which would be great if they could just be that team again. That would be awesome. Um, but, you know, you mentioned that that formation switch. And in this case, um, on one hand, they're already in the 4-1-4-1. Um, but on the other hand, Vancouver has changed formations, too. So you're not getting the same looks. Um, so what we might actually see is Olsen sort of switch. If he wants to do the same trick, the idea would be he would be playing... 4-1-4-1 defensively and then attacking 4-2-3-1 or vice versa um, to try and make sure that there's somebody always in Jacobson's face. Um, so that would be Lucho's job. But Lucho has to remember to keep it together because Jacobson will kick everybody. Um, that's just a thing he does. And Lucho, the last time we saw him, was reacting angrily to getting kicked and getting himself sent off. And that can't yes. happen again. So what else 
do you think United should and will do in this game to to get a result? Um, I think they're going to sit in a low block and try and reduce. Vancouver has a ton of speed, so I think they're going to play to try and avoid um, a wide. I think they don't want the game to become wide open. They want it to be choppy without being vertical. Um, and so they're going to sit in that low block to try and neutralize the fact that Vancouver's got, you know, Tachera. If Shea plays, he's got a ton of speed. Um, sit deep and try and neutralize that. And then as Vancouver, because Vancouver does tend to get frustrated. Um, they tend to lose their way. They're not the mentally most focused and most solid group. They tend to let the game get away from them for a few minutes here and there. Um, and I think they're a team that you can frustrate into doing dumb stuff. And it might not be red cards. It might just be, you know, the game isn't working for them and they're just starting to force things. Um, but either way, that's both of those are still good outcomes. And so I think the idea is going to be a lot like what we saw in Atlanta and in New England. Maybe New England is the better analog because it was another game on turf against a team that tends to lose its way when they don't when things don't work for them. Um, so I think that sitting in a low block, hitting on the counter... Um, and just being difficult to play against, which United has not been lately. Um, so it might be one of those things where on paper, they've got a good plan, but if the execution isn't there, it doesn't matter. Um, but if they can go be hard to play against, and if they can keep a team shape and cut the speed out for Vancouver, if, if that speed factor isn't there, then they're probably going to have a decent chance at getting something out of it. Because if Vancouver gets frustrated, they tend to not, not keep it together. Um, and they tend to let the game kind of drift away from them. And then it, once it gets away from them, they aren't that kind of team that can sort of wrestle control back. They just sort of, it's gone and it's over. Um, and I'm not sure that with this midweek game, I'm not sure that Robinson is going to have too many super fresh, uh, game changers to throw on either. So, um, the start I think is going to be really important if United can get can make this game about Vancouver's frustration levels in the first half, then they're probably on their way to something good, which is weird to say because it's been a while since, uh, since that happened. Ha, we are going to end something on a good note, even if it's super speculative. (laughs) So unless Ben wants to, you know, no, end it on a good note, end it on the good note. Thank you all for listening. Find us at black and red united.com. We're on Twitter at Black and Red U for the website, at FilibusterDCU for this here podcast. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Google Play. We will soon Patreon. be on Patreon. So uh, check that out when, when it's live. Uh, mostly, though, tell a friend and come to our tailgate party June 3rd before the DC United LA Galaxy game at RFK Stadium. We'll be in Lot 8 in a tent. Come join us. Uh, there's an event page on Facebook, RSVP there. For Jason and Ben, I am Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. No good notes. The sun is going to destroy the Earth uh, at some point in, in the future. There's nothing we can do about it. Heat death of the universe. That's not the heat death of the universe. That's no the sun. That's the sun exploding at the end of its life cycle. That's not the heat death of the universe. That is a different thing. No good.
button, button. Who's got the button? We got some good feedback on on our teaser buttons. And so I just wanted to add a button. We don't have anything more to tease. We announced the Patreon earlier in the show. That's our big exciting news. Um, it's going to launch soon. So be sure to check that out. Um, if, you, if you fast forwarded just to hear this button, please go back and listen. Yes, because there was our a big announcement, announcement that I just spoiled. I apologize. Go listen no, no, to it in the this show. This is at the end. You, should, you shouldn't apologize. Yeah, I shouldn't. What are you doing listening to this part of the show first? That's foolish. Yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> totally. I've never done that on this or any other podcast. I don't know why you guys are looking at me. Stop looking at me. Adam, do we need to have an intervention? End why the do, recording. Why do, why, End it. It's over.